Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out, and uh, enjoy the service. Before we do, I want to uh, share a story about what has kind of shaped this, my approach to this message. Um, and as I was reading this words, reading the words from Romans 11, this story was again coming to my mind about a month ago. Pastor Scott and I went to a, something called the Prayer Summit, the CRC Prayer Summit. Christian Reformed Church hosted at All Nations Church um, outside of L.A. And um, we were there uh, to gather with other Christian Reformed leaders for a time of prayer, a time of education around prayer, and also just to see some old friends and connect with people that we hadn't seen in a while. Um, I went with, I won't say a hard heart, but I will, will say one that has, was maybe a little bit unmoved. I was about a month ago, uh, two months ago, at a place where um, it, it wasn't bad, uh, but my heart was just kind of, I don't know, stagnant, not in tune with the jazz that God was sort of like singing and writing all around me. And so I went with a little bit um, of, I really just wanted to go eat some good Korean food. Uh, that's what I was really excited about. And what God did in my life um, in that time was, was significant, and it was good, and it was a reminder uh, for me. We, we sat down in a room much like this one. It was the sanctuary of All Nations Church. And there was a young woman from New York who was like an artist who got up to lead the prayer time. One of the things that happens when you're in enough of these spaces and places is you kind of begin to get a little bit cynical. Maybe that's how you come into church sometimes. It's going to be the same thing that happens every week. We're going to sing a little bit and somebody's going to talk and preach and, you know, I'm going to leave. Not so much changed. Um, that was a little bit of my attitude. I got to just confess that. Um, I went in wanting to pray yes, but not expecting to be moved at the level that I was. She did something which I thought was pretty strategic, and maybe I'm just a sucker for rooms with dark lights, but she dimmed the lights, and she began to speak. And the words were not words of judgment. They weren't words of us needing to do something great. She essentially said, receive from God. Receive his grace. Receive his rest. To those of you who are ministry leaders in the room, she said specifically, just enter his rest right now. And in the next 20 minutes, she spoke words over us. I found myself charged again with the reality of the presence and the goodness and the grace of God in my life, the undeserved awareness of his presence with us there. 
And that's how, as I was reading this text, the story that I, I kind of recalled. And that happened about a month ago. Following that time, some friends, we got together and, and said, we want to just be more in tune with what God is doing in the world. And so we kind of covenanted to holding each other accountable, to spending time daily of just waking up to God's presence in the world, waking up to his reality, the reality of his mercy, the reality of, of his wanting to work in us and through us in the world. And so we committed to spend some time every morning in prayer and seeking God, whatever that looked like, uh, just looking for his presence in our lives. That's the backdrop for me this morning as I approach this text from Romans 11. And my question, maybe for you, is where are you at in your relationship with God, your walk with him? Do you find yourself in a place where, where there's change happening in your life, or, or are you kind of stagnant? Do you find yourself growing and maturing and seeking God in the world, or, or do you find yourself kind of complacent? Maybe a little, a little bored with his story. Maybe kind of wondering, is it even all real? Wherever you're at, I hope that this morning's text speaks a word to you. Romans 11, starting at verse 11. Here's the reality. Wherever you find yourself on that spectrum is that we are never done growing We're never done transforming. We're never done in the pursuit of becoming more and more like Christ. So 11, verse 11, Paul says, Again I ask, did they, they as Israel, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, Because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression, that's a big word for sin or um, inability to respond to God's presence in their lives, if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness Bring. I am talking to you Gentiles. In as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my people, my own people, to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. 
For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted in to a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? The word of the Lord. So how did we get here? How did we get to this place where Paul is describing the cutting off of Israel so that Gentiles might enter in to the story of God. You have to go back to Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. Let me read it for you. This is the calling of Abram. And it says that the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Then the question is, well, why? Why does God want to make Abraham into a great nation? He says, I will bless you. And the question is, why? Why is God going to bless Abraham? He says, I will make your name great. And you say, why? Why is God going to do this thing with this, this nomad in the Middle East? And the answer is in the next verse, in verse 2, Genesis 12, verse 2. And you will be a blessing. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so God calls Abraham. He calls him to this distant land. And he defines this relationship like this. Abram, I'm going to do some stuff in your life that you don't deserve. I'm going to be with you in ways that nobody up until this point has experienced. And I'm going to do that so that you might be a blessing to others. God defines the relationship. He defines the terms. Ever been in a relationship where you needed some definition? Like, what's, what are we? You were maybe like had the impression that you were dating and then the person that you thought you were dating like ended up going out with somebody else and you're like, man, that's not what I thought we were. And so there's this term, and it's not downtown Redlands, but you have a DTR, define the relationship. And there's this moment where you sit down, maybe at a coffee shop, and say to the person sitting across from you, like, what are we? Are, are we like boyfriend and girlfriend? Come on, high schoolers, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have this moment of like, what are we in relationship to one another? And Abraham and God have this DTR, and God says, I'm going to covenant with you. I'm going to define the relationship like this. I'm going to give myself to you and open my presence up to you and your people in ways that has never happened before. And the reason I'm going to do that is so that you might be a gift and a blessing to the world. Now, as this relationship morphs and it grows from generation to generation, uh, 
the, it is continually defined. It keeps growing, and it keeps morphing, and it keeps changing. And there are times where the people are in sync with this relationship. They have understood the agreement and the terms, and there's like this in syncness. They're together. They're responding in obedience. They're experiencing the presence and the fullness and the goodness of God. Their hearts are like in tune with the jazz that he's singing. And then there's times where they're out of sync. They're, they're not in step with where he's going. They kind of forgot about that DTR, and they're off like dating other people. That out of syncness in the scripture gets described as spiritual blindness or deafness. In the verses preceding the ones that we read today, last week, Pastor Scott read from 11 verse 7, and it says, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. This isn't the first time We've seen this language. It happens all over in the prophets. When the people had wandered and drifted from their relationship with God, we read it in Ezekiel. God calls him to be a prophet to the people and says, Ezekiel, you're living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but they don't see, and ears to hear, but they don't hear because they are rebellious people. He calls Isaiah in 6 verse 10, Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes. They might hear with their ears. They might understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Jeremiah, the same thing. He calls the people foolish and senseless because they have eyes to see, but they don't see, and ears to hear, but they don't understand. And so this out of syncness is described as blindness. It's the exact thing that Paul says happened with Israel. They were no longer in tune and in touch with the movement of God. They got stuck at some point. And in their stuckness, they missed this thing that God was doing right in front of them. They missed the thing they had hoped for. They missed the presence of God in the person of Christ. And so because of that blindness, they have been cut off. Now, I want to make a little bit of a shift and talk to you about olive trees. In the Mediterranean world, olive trees are life. Olive trees present all sorts of economic and medicinal and food function. Olive trees are where we get olive oil. Olive oil in the Mediterranean was eaten with every meal. It was a source of sustenance. Olive oil was also what you put in lamps to keep them burning, burning, burning. Olive oil was used as sort of a balm when people were ill. You would rub it into your body and, and there would be sort of a soothing effect. Olive oil was also used to anoint people and bless people, kings and prophets. Olive oil was a symbol of life. It was a symbol of abundance. It was a symbol even of the very presence of God. Olive oil 
comes from olive trees. And olive trees produce olives. When you're in the olive tree industry, you want trees that produce fruit. Because fruit leads to all those other things. The more fruit they produce, the more olive oil you have. The more olive oil you have, the more abundant life you live. Now, what happens from time to time with olive trees as they get older, their roots continue to grow. Olive trees are incredibly resistant to drought. They're resistant to fire. And so you have to this day olive trees in the Middle East that are hundreds and some people say even thousands of years old. There are some, a group of like seven, that people think are like 3,000 years old. That means like Jesus could have walked among these olive trees. And so their roots are almost indestructible. They go down, not that deep, but they go far. And their stock, their stock is tough. But from time to time, these older trees, the ones that have been there, the ones that are plugged in to that nourishing sap, they, they stop bearing fruit. And when that happens, there's a process of grafting in new branches. It is fascinating. If you do nothing else this week in terms of engaging in the Bible, you got to go look up just like a YouTube video of grafting an olive branch into an olive tree. It's amazing. What happens, uh, there's a number of ways that this can be done. You show that picture, Steph. One, oh, you can't see that really. Can you guys see that? A little bit. Well, here, that is an olive stock or a, um, a trunk, okay? That big piece of wood in the back. It doesn't look like wood, but it is. And those little branches that are coming out of it, I'm not sure if those are ones that have been grafted in or if those are like new growth. But for the purposes of this illustration, we're going to say that they have been grafted in. All right, go ahead and show the next one, Steph. This is one of the ways that you can graft in a branch. What you do is you take a desirable tree, one that is probably young and growing in fruit, but doesn't have like really deep roots, and you take a branch from that, you cut it off, and you bring it over to the big tree, okay? The, the one that has been there for a really, really long time that has deep roots. You take that branch and this is one of the, um, I don't know what it's called, this particular method, but this is one of the methods. You put a slit, and then you slide the one that's growing fruit into the stock of the other one. That thing is called a scion, all right? S-C-I-O-N. That branch is called a scion. And then you wrap around it some sort of bandage, and then you pray that it takes And what happens is the sap, that nourishing sap that Paul talks about in verse 17, flows, and this tissue called the cambium joins together, and all the good nutrients from that stock come to this branch, and that branch then bears beautiful fruit and lots of it. Look at this gnarly old olive tree. This is one that they thought was over 2,000 years old. Roots that are indestructible. 
But to get fruit from time to time, branches had to be removed and new branches inserted. Now, there's other ways to do this. One involves putting a slit and sliding it in and then wrapping it around the whole thing. There's a number of ways to do it, and it's a beautiful process. But it also provides us with this amazing metaphor for what Paul is seeing God do in Israel. He says to the people, it's like, it's like they've been cut out for now. Their branches have been removed, and you have been brought in. But here's the deal. When you bring in a new branch, what kind of branch do you want? You want one that has proven that it can bear fruit, right? You want one from your grove that you've witnessed and seen that in its young life has produced something. You don't just take a random branch and put it in. But Paul is saying that's exactly what God has done. He's gone on beyond the grove even to the wild olive trees. Now, these are ones that are there, and nobody really knows why they're there because who knows. But they're not cultivated. They're not tended. The goal of them is not to produce fruit that people will use and squish into olive oil. They're just there. And Paul says to the Gentiles, this is who you are. You've been grafted into this story, to this root, That's hundreds and thousands of years old. It's a story and a relationship of a God who has been consistent to a people for a really, really long time. And you've only just showed up on the scene. Do not be arrogant. Do not think that because you were grafted in that somehow this gives you a leg up on the competition. Not at all. Not at all. You've been grafted in to bear fruit. So be humble and grow. Be humble and grow. Don't think, he says, that you're beyond the spiritual blindness or the deafness that Israel has experienced. Don't think for a moment that you are somehow exempt from the same exact sort of pitfall that they have experienced. Because here's the deal about olive trees. Some have really deep roots, but bear very little fruit. And others have lots of fruit, but almost no root. And what God is doing here is grafting in a branch that actually hasn't produced a lot of fruit yet into a tree, into a story, in the hopes that someday it would The reality is we all know people in one of these camps, and maybe we're in one of them. Maybe we kind of relate to that that deep root, but right now we're kind of like, I don't see a lot of the fruit. I've been plugged in and dialed in and connected, and like my faith, it's pretty unshakable, but but I don't see a lot of like love and justice and mercy. I don't see a lot of grace in my own life. As a matter of fact, when I look at my life, I see like a stingy person and I'm becoming even stingier and less generous than before. I don't see a, a passion to serve others. I don't see like a love for the poor. And so yeah, I, I'm this like deep, deep root. I've got this stock that's like 50, 60 years old, but I'm not seeing the growth. I'm not seeing the fruit. And then there are folks 
with passion. They have fruit. They have a spiritual fervor. There's a deep love for others, but, but maybe they carry around a little bit of like arrogance. I can't tell you how many times I walked into Pastor Will's office as an emerging, whatever, pastor, and said to him things like, did you know this and this and this and this and this? And Will would say something to the extent of like, yeah, we had that discussion like 30 years ago. Yeah, we, we talked about that at SID in 1973. It's like, I wasn't even around in 1973. You already had this discussion and like made decisions about things? And in our arrogance, we walk around thinking we're the first ones to have uncovered this thing. We come in as a wild olive shoot into this family, into this history, into this tree, and think we're like the answer. And some of us are in that space, maybe personally, or maybe in relationship to a community. We say things like, yeah, but the church, they don't this, and yeah, but the church, they don't that, all the while forgetting that the the thing we're talking about is the bride of the king of the universe. The people who have been called to carry the story and that progressive revelation of God himself in the world. And then sometimes there's this combination in communities and in our own lives where there's a root that's deep, a root that's, that's firm and strong and that's carrying nutrients. And then there's like these new branches these new branches that get cultivated into it and that bear much fruit in our lives. In the olive tree, growth happens between the stock and the scion when the cambium, that's the vascular tissue of both trees, fuses together. When there's this fusion of like the old and the new and when they come together, There's this amazing harvest from roots that go deep into the ground to bring out the best of the best and and these branches that are open and hungry and want that nourishing sap. The spiritual fruit is the goal. That's, That's the purpose. That's why God gives his presence to his people so that they might be a blessing in the world. Now, there's things that get in the way There's no doubt things that get in the way of us continuing to be tapped in, of us to continue drink from that nourishing sap, the life-giving blood. Loneliness, we feel cut off, we feel isolated. Sometimes there's things uh, that confront our faith and we don't know where to go with them. Sometimes there's the sense of failure and shame. We were supposed to bear fruit, and we didn't, and now we're kind of over it and done. We're going to give up. And Paul does this beautiful thing in this text. He says, even Israel, who it seems like they've been cut off, and their branch has been removed, even they, through faith, can be grafted back into the tree. Now, as I was researching and studying, I didn't see this anywhere, which is maybe the point, that this practice is not common. It's not common to cut a branch off, to go set it somewhere, and then to put it back in. But the text says that's exactly what God can do. And maybe you feel like you're cut off from that life-giving, nourishing sap 
that the roots have to offer. Maybe you feel like you're a branch that's been set aside, and the text says, through faith, God grafts us back in. So how do we, how do we stay grafted? I want to offer you three things that I think are true of anyone who's committed to growing, who, to anyone who's said, you know what? I'm never done growing. I don't want to be just a root. I don't want to be uh, just this stagnant, lifeless thing. I, I want to continue to grow. Here are three things that I think are true of anyone committed to this. First, they seek. They're seekers. They're hungry. They want to grow. There has to be this desire. There has to be this sense of longing to become like Christ. Second, they connect. They connect with others who are growing. They connect to a community where there is a nourishing sap. There's this big move, and there has been for the last 20 years, about church and whether we really need it. And we all know the stories about young adults who are leaving the church because it's whatever. But one of the problems that we have is with, with how we have defined what church is. Sunday morning, what happens here is the church gathering. But so is Panera on Monday morning. And so is pick a home in this congregation on Wednesday night, people coming together. And so is a bunch of people driving out to the desert to shoot guns. I don't know, you could probably argue with me that that's not, but when people gather together in the name of Jesus, when they gather together to encourage, to sharpen, to shape, to challenge, to bless each other, they connect with one another. There's no such thing as me and Jesus. Your faith, my faith, is not an individualistic thing. And so maybe this morning, the thing that you walk out of here with is, man, I really need just like maybe one other person that I can share this thing with. This is how movements are begun. It's when one person says to another, like, I have this like hunger inside of me to know God more. And somebody else goes, yeah, me too. And there's the beginning of this beautiful connection and growth in life. And people who are growing in their faith can point at the people around them who they're connected with. Often it's people who are ahead of them that they're connected with. It's people, friends who are with them that they're connected with. And it's other people behind them that they're trying to encourage. I heard one person say recently, it takes at least four people for there to be church. Because you need somebody ahead of you you need somebody that you're learning and walking with, and you need somebody that you're pouring into. A church like this should never have to beg for children's ministry volunteers. We should never have to beg for it. We should never have to say twice, hey, there's a need for people to volunteer in children's ministry. Because if we're not deaf and we're not blind and we're listening to the movement of God in our life, we're going to be looking for people in those places we're going to be looking for mentors and folks ahead of us. They may be younger than we are, but they may have like this relationship with the Lord that we just want. And we may have to ask them how they got it. They're most likely older than we are. And we'll have to humble ourselves and recognize that the people that have gone before us and ahead of us have probably this intimate relationship and walk with God that we need and we want. And so people who are growing are seeking God's presence and will for their lives. They're also connected 
And the last thing is they're serving. Um, we're right now in a process at our church, and the council's asked me to help shape what it looks like for us to grow faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, what it means for us to be a community that continually puts God's love on display. And we have a lot of new families that are coming and walking in through the doors, a lot of new folks who are stepping in here. And we're trying to say, what does it look like for us to have a pathway of growth? What does it look like for us to connect people to that nourishing sap in a way that people grow in their understanding of who God is and are able to respond to them with their gifts and their talents and their passions. They're able to put those things into use so that they're a blessing in the world. And this book that we're reading called Move talks about the best activity that any church can offer are opportunities for people to use their gifts, opportunities to serve. This past week, I went on a pilgrimage to a place called Salvation Mountain. Has anybody been there? It's out by, yes, Brandon, it's out by like the, the Salton Sea. And on the way out to this place, it's, it's this random painted mountain that this guy spent 28 years of his life like painting. It's on a movie called Into the Wild, um, which is a really depressing movie. that I, I, I can't like recommend, but um, Salvation Mountain is in that film. And we drove out there, and on the way out there, we stopped at the Salton Sea. How many of you have been to the Salton Sea? What a bizarre, apocalyptic place. It was wild, but I hear like in the 50s, it was hopping and buzzing, and like people had boats, and there's like, there's a yacht club that's like 20 feet from the water at the Salton Sea. It's so random and weird. I'd never seen it before. But we started driving up, and it stunk it reeked. We're like, how could you live out here? The smell is just unbearable. It's terrible. And we walked, and there's like dead fish everywhere. You know, it's just like lifeless. You feel like you've just, like, are, are we supposed to be here? Are there supposed to be people around here? It's just bizarro land. The Salton Sea has a little bit of water flowing in, but it doesn't have any water flowing out. Right? It's got water coming in, but it just stays there. And then what happens? Well, it, it becomes stagnant. Now, somebody can tell me about like, the geological, like how, why this is. But this is what I know. It's very similar to the Dead Sea in the Middle East. Water comes in, it doesn't go out. You and I were created. We were created. It's built into us and it's built into everything that when blessing and goodness and love and mercy show up if they don't have an outlet we get stinky nothing can live around us we become like the Salton sea putrid because we have like these roots and we have this this knowledge we've got all this goodness but it's not doing anything. And so folks that are committed to growing, people who said, hey, I don't want to become stagnant, are people who recognize the need for an outlet. They serve others. Maybe it's in their own home. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a kid who's ill. 
Maybe they just write letters every once in a while. Maybe they've gotten to the point where it's like, I can't, I can't get out of my home, but I can make a phone call. I can drop a little line on Facebook, and somebody's like, what's Facebook? There are so many people this week. I was at um, an elementary school. I was at Lagonia, and one of the teachers was talking about how much it means to them to have some of our folks who are... Um, done working, they're retired working, show up on their campus to serve their students. Nancy Nagel literally brings with her this really heavy oxygen tank, and she shows up and helps these fifth graders learn how to crochet. It's like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. In my daughter's class, there's a couple who comes and they just help these little kids learn how to read. Kids whose grandparents don't speak English, and they just sit, and they just help them. And the teacher is blown away by this. She speaks about it with, like, gushing appreciation. Because people have chosen to not become stagnant, to not become little salt in seas. Recently in our Exploring Members group, There was a family who said, we came to the river because we've never heard of a church that serves the community so much. We've never heard about a church that does that. We've never heard stories of of people driving like to Mexico to do the kinds of stuff that the river's doing. And I wanted to say, yes, that's true at some level, but I also know a lot of folks who just kind of show up. And if that's you this morning, if you're somebody who's a shower-upper, I want to encourage you and challenge you, don't stop there. Because the life, like the good stuff of being a follower of Jesus is in the service of others. The good stuff happens when you recognize that that nourishing sap that you're receiving isn't meant to just stay in you. I want to lay down a challenge I would love to see as a community us develop this practice. As you open your text in the morning or a part of your Bible study or whatever it is, ask yourself the question, what's one thing I can take away from this? So maybe it's a sermon and maybe you go, well, Nick, you kind of blew that sermon this morning, but whatever was spoken here, there's at least one thing or maybe it was a song that we sung that you can take one thing So what's the one thing that you can take out of this morning? And before we go, I want to give you just a moment to think about one person that you could share that with. What would this look like if it was built into our Bible studies? What's the one thing I can take away from this study? And who's the one person I can share it with? What's the one thing God did in my life that I can tell somebody else about? This doesn't matter if you're a fourth grader like Troy in the back, or the Gilbert boys. It doesn't matter if you're a fifth grader. Sorry, I got it wrong. Or if you're 85. What have you learned? What are you learning? And who is God calling you to share it with today? Not this week even. Today. Maybe it looks like this. Hey, I just wanted you to know because I was challenged by this young buck pastor 
who sometimes really bothers me. But I was challenged to share something. And so I just wanted to let you know that in my life right now, I feel kind of stagnant, and I would love for you to just pray for me. Or maybe it's this. Did you know that olive trees live for thousands of years? It's kind of like faith communities. They're around for a really, really long time. But if they don't continue to bear fruit, then God like cuts them off and brings in new branches that will bear fruit. Did you know that? And maybe you're going to get some funny looks and people are going to be like, wow, Paul Wagner. So I went to get my car fixed and he dropped this olive tree trivia on me. It was really random and bizarre. But my guess is, as you share, you become more and more sensitive to the work that God is doing in other people's lives and the work that he's doing in your life. As you do that, as a community, we'll grow, grow, grow. Let's pray. God, thanks for pulling us in the wild olive branch. Thanks you pulled us in to this story, this huge story that, that spans so many generations. One where you keep revealing more and more of yourself to us. Thanks that we didn't discover it, that we weren't the first ones here, but that you invited us in so that we might be a part of the work that you're doing in the world, that we might point to it, that we might share it with others. God, for some of us, uh, we just confess like just a complacency, almost like a boredom with what you're doing. We would ask for like, again, the fresh eyes and ears to hear. Give us insight into how you're working in our own lives and the lives of the people around us that we might be a blessing even as you've called us to, to bear fruit. Or bring to our mind this morning even people that we might share the good news of the gospel, that we belong to you, that we're a part of something much greater, much larger, that we belong to you and have been secured as family members of yours so that we might be a blessing for others even as you have been for us. Bring to mind people, communities, that we can share this good news with. Lord, help us to be a learning community, one that never stops growing, one that never stops changing, one that never stops becoming who you're inviting us to become. Thanks for those who have come before us in this place, those who have walked the same hallways of this building even, those who have who have shared for generations the good news of your love, of your faithfulness. We bless you for them. Open our ears to hear stories in new ways again. Open our hearts to understand where you're at work. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thankfully that it's, it's not by our own strength, it's not by our own power. It's the reality of your presence in our lives 
that changes us. Sensitize us to this again. In Jesus' name. Thank you.